Coming up today, we're going to talk about the top investment searches of 2022, a new proposal that would replace the income tax with a national sales tax instead. We're going to talk about what it takes to be in the top 1% of earners in your state. And we're also going to talk about why credit card dependency is at an all-time high, a very alarming statistic and surveys that are coming out right now. All that coming up on this episode of the Financial Pathway Podcast. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Financial Pathway Podcast with Nate Skeller, where we discuss important financial questions and give you practical advice to guide you on your financial journey. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. You can also follow the Financial Pathway page on Facebook for more helpful financial tips and videos. All right. Well, welcome, friends, to this episode of the Financial Pathway Podcast. We're wrapping up the month of February, the shortest month of the year, but there were a lot of articles and interesting things I saw this year. So as uh, as usual, I'm going to go through some of the uh, most interesting articles that I wanted to share with you from this month. We're going to kick it off with the top investment searches of 2022. This was a cool little study actually conducted by New York Life where they uh, followed the trends of what people were searching for online through Google and other search functions. What were people uh, wanting to know about in, in relation to the world of investing? There were certain topics that were kind of blips on the radar, certain things that got a lot of attention for a short amount of time and then went away, things like Russia, oil prices, OPEC. But then there were other topics that were pretty consistent throughout the year, got a lot of traction uh, from January to December, things like people resigning their jobs at work, value investing, the U.S. dollar, interest rates. So I wanted to uh, share with you a couple highlights from, uh, and, and they've got a nice little infographic uh, with several pages from things that they found. One of the biggest stories of the year was oil and oil prices. Of course, it's subsided a bit since then, but in March of 2022, you know, oil prices peaked and gas prices got really insane. And, and, and you know, part of that was related to Russia and Ukraine and the oil supply and, and, and all of that. We actually did a, an episode or two on those specific topics. But for the year, the S&P 500, we, we know that they had it, it had a, uh, a down year. It was down about 18% on the year of the, the U.S. stock market broadly. But the energy sector was up almost 60% at the same time. So energy was the, the one shining uh, example of some positive news, I guess, for investing in 2022. But it's not really hard to see why, because our prices had jumped so high and are still high relative to where they've been more recently. So that was one of the biggest stories of the year. Also, uh, the, uh, the strength of the U.S. dollar it's another interesting thing. It's been a little bit under the radar. I, I haven't seen as much on this as compared to some other things. But if you travel or if you live abroad as a U.S. citizen, I'm sure you've taken notice because the U.S. dollar has actually strengthened quite a bit since interest rates have been um, been going up. That's actually strengthened the dollar compared to the euro, the British pound, Australian dollar, Canadian do dollar, a lot of other uh, major uh, currency denominations. And so for those that are primarily paid in U.S. dollars, that receive money in U.S. dollars, compared to you know, the exchange rates have been looking a lot more favorable for us these uh, these last uh, couple of years. So I guess that's, that's some good news coming out of all this. And then, of course, the other really big story was interest rates and how, how they've shot up over time. And really what we've seen in the last few months is the quickest raise of interest rates ever by the Federal Reserve. 
And so there's a lot of questions about how is this going to, how is this going to break uh, going forward? As of right now, when we're recording this, the Federal Reserve is planning to raise rates a little bit more, and then they anticipate that we're going to peak, and then eventually over the next few years start to be able to to bring interest rates back down. But of course, who knows if that's actually how it's going to play out? They believe they just need to raise it a little bit more to combat inflation um, adequately. And then inflation will get back in check, and then we can lower interest rates again. And uh, certainly it's a double-edged sword. In a lot of ways, that would be great. If you're looking to buy a house right now and get a mortgage, you're hoping that those interest rates will come back down. But if you've got money set aside in the savings account or you're getting CDs or things like that, you're actually kind of liking the higher interest rates because you're getting more for your money. So that's the double-edged sword of how interest rates go. But that has been a very, very popular topic and one that a lot of people have been keeping their eye on. Second big story for this month is Republicans, uh, and I say Republicans, it was it was uh, introduced by a Republican and had some Repo- Republican backing. There was a proposal introducing Congress here recently to replace our income tax system with a national sales tax. Now, this is not a new idea. It's It's been thrown out there before, but it's never actually come to the House floor and and formally introduced in any sort of way. Now, because our our Congress right now is um, split in that the Republicans maintain control of the House and Democrats control the Senate, uh, I'm sure there's really not any sort of meaningful traction that's going to be made on this right now. But in the future, it'd be interesting to see if this picks up any steam. It's such a huge, big, bold proposal that I, I <laughs> it's hard for me to think that that it it could ever actually happen. Um, but the idea is this: the national sales tax would be in in this proposal. It was thrown out as thirty percent, which when you think about that, I mean that is a heavy tax, thirty percent sales tax. But what it's doing is it's eliminating income tax altogether. The also part of the legislation would try to um, try to help lower income families by sending out something called a prebate check. So kind of like similar similar to what we do with certain tax credits, we try to offset the tax burden for the lowest income Americans and actually give them somewhat of a government stimulus in that sense. So um, I, I'm somebody who's very much in favor of a more flat tax system, or even a lot of countries have like a value-added tax, a VAT tax system. And I, think, I suppose there's arguments to be made for both sides. I think the big problem with this, though, is a, a sales tax at 30% um, affects lower and middle-income Americans to a greater degree than higher-income Americans, if that makes sense. Because sales taxes on consumption, and everybody needs to consume basic necessities, groceries, gas, clothes. So... All of those things generate sales tax. Those at the highest levels of income and wealth, comparatively, what they need to consume compared to their wealth is a much smaller percentage. Therefore, you know, on a percentage basis, how much they're paying in sales tax compared to their wealth or income is actually a good bit lower, again, on a percentage basis than lower or middle class Americans. So, um, in, in trying to find a fair system, maybe this is a good step in the right direction. I don't think that this will act, actually ever come to uh, to fruition. But it's an interesting proposal and one that I, I hope will spark a debate more in, in our national conversation about 
what can be done to simplify and uh, fix our tax code? Because <laughs> it just seems like every time we want to fix the tax code, we just add more complexity to it. We add more rules, and it makes it harder and harder for the average American to understand and to actually benefit from it. So um, interesting, though, to see that. Third story that I want to share with you is uh, there's an interesting study done from uh, Smart Asset. It uh, talks about what does it take to be in the top 1%. So they did a study, and uh, you can click the link, and it'll take you to um, to their findings. So what does it take to be in the top 1%? Well, depending on what state you live in, it's actually a pretty wide range. So the top state, I'll share with you the top five here, states where uh, you have to make the most money to be in the top 1% for that state. Number one is Connecticut, which probably doesn't come as a huge shock. Connecticut, very high income state, a lot of white collar jobs, close proximity to New York and Boston. You'd have to make about $955,000 a year to be in the top 1% in Connecticut. So almost a million dollars a year. Number two is Massachusetts. Number three is New Jersey. Interestingly enough, New Jersey topping New York. Uh, they're both very close. $826,000 in New Jersey, $818,000 in New York. California, number five, you'd have to make $806,000 to be in the top 1% in California. But what about the states where the income is income thresholds lowest? Lowest state would be West Virginia. You need to make just $375,000 a year. That's all, just three seventy-five. dollars That's kind of jump change, right? Uh, Mississippi is number two. 383,000, then New Mexico, then Arkansas, then Kentucky, where you'd have to make 447,000. So quite a range. Um, in some states, 400,000 would you in the top 1%. Other states, you got to be closer to a million. But uh, just interesting to see how even within the United States, the richest country in the world, there is a wide disparity depending on what state you live in. Fourth article, and this one was, this, this is kind of uh, alarming, uh, not so good news. A recent poll showed that about 25% of Americans report that if they had a $1,000 emergency, that would pull them into credit card debt. That would be the way that they would pay for it. Not that they would put it on the credit card and then pay it off at the end of the month. No, they would put it on the credit card and wouldn't actually be able to pay it off. And so that's alarming. That's the highest rate that we've actually found since doing studies like this. Um so, yeah, it makes you a little bit worried about where people are at with their savings right now. Part of that same survey found that only 43% of U.S. adults would use their savings to pay for that emergency expense. So, so more than half are having to borrow, uh, ask money, you know, get help from relatives, maybe work more hours at their job. They have to find some other way to pay for it because they don't have even $1,000 set aside in the bank, which is pretty consistent with what we've seen over and over again. It seems like about half of Americans are in that like paycheck to paycheck sort of scenario. And that, that ebbs and flows a little bit, but it stays close to about 50%. Now, the reasons for this, most of the participants said inflation, about 70% said inflation was the reason why they would struggle to save money. And that's up quite a bit, um, even from 2022, from last year when they did this study. So yes, inflation is inf affecting us, and I know it is It is making it harder on all of us. We're paying more at the gas station, we're paying more at the grocery store, and, and in these important categories, but it doesn't eliminate the need to save up for emergencies. And of course, you know we've talked about this many times on the podcast, preaching the necessity of having emergency savings, having that 
emergency buffer for those things that not if they go wrong, but when they go wrong, because it is inevitable. Now, um, on that note, I, I included a couple popular posts from this month. There was one um, visual in, in particular that was very alarming to me. There was another study, uh, I mean, pretty recent as well, not as recent as, as the, this one here, but, but I think within the last two years. It said that um, among U.S. high earners in the millennial generation, my generation, those making 100 to 150,000 a year, 63% of millennials said they're living paycheck to paycheck, which is just crazy to me. Like 100 to $150,000 a year puts you in the top 5% of income in the world. And people are still paycheck to paycheck. They don't have emergency savings. And as that income goes up, it doesn't actually get much better because for millennials, that made $250,000 or more, 55% of them said that they live paycheck to paycheck, which is, again, I mean, that's even more astounding to me. Uh, how do you not be putting money away in savings? But here's the thing, folks. I mean, really, unless you're billionaire status, you're going to find ways to spend money. The more money you make, the more things you can find to spend on. And so that's why it's really important to automate your savings to prioritize it in your budget, to, to, to set it aside first and learn to spend with what's left over. Last visual, I, I actually threw this up here just very recently, but I wanted to include it because I think it's such a great reminder. Um, what drives investment returns? And it's, and it's, a, um, it's a seesaw. On one end is time, behavior, savings rate, and asset allocation. On the on the left hand is this laundry list of stuff like politics, headlines, earnings reports, market forecast, picking the right stocks, today's market performance. Folks, I think this is such a great reminder to us. The people that do well in investing are the people who invest for the long term, who don't freak out and change their strategy all the time. They save a, a healthy percentage of their income and they put it in good categories. They put it in U.S. stocks and international stocks and real estate and things that will appreciate over time. And that's really most of it. Now, I mean, things like, you know, your P.E. ratios and value versus growth and, you know, which funds you're using. Like all of that is important, but more and more what I'm finding is it's the simple solution that usually has the greatest impact. And, and CNBC and, and so much of our financial media is set up to talk about all the stuff on the left-hand side when it doesn't make nearly as much difference as the stuff on the right-hand side. So I thought it was a really powerful visual. Well, there you go. That's all we have this month for the Financial Pathway podcast. Hey, um, I'm going to do an Ask Me Anything episode coming up. So would you do me a favor? If you've got some topics that you'd like to, to ask about, you'd like for me to do a little bit um, more explanation on, please send it to me. Info at nateskelly.com is my email. Or you can shoot me a message on Facebook. That works as well. And I'm looking forward to digging into some of those questions here in an upcoming episode. All right. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you on the next one.